Today I want to look at what the biblical recipe is for hospitality and what the ingredients are. We'll keep with the eating theme, okay? Hospitality here. Um, but I think if you would actually look at what the Bible says about hospitality, you might be surprised. And with any recipe, you want to know what you're making. Is it going to taste good? Is it going to look good? We look up things on Pinterest or online. What's this recipe going to turn out to be? And if I were to ask myself a week or two ago, what do I think recipe looks, the recipe looks like for hospitality? What does it look like in my life? How do we use it? I think I had just like a small sliver of what it actually is. That's been exciting to me to say, oh, there's much more to this than I expected. Hospitality, the recipe that the Bible cooks up, is not just encouraging people to be more extroverted and socialize more. It's not what the word means. It's not what hospitality is. So if you're like, well, I'm kind of an introverted person. I have trouble socializing. Well, you can work with this definition. This is not what it means. Um, hospitality, in terms of what the Bible means, does not mean uh, open your home to your friends and family more often. does not mean that. It can like lead to that, and that's also a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad, but at its core, that's not what it is. Um, the Greek word for hospitality is... Like Philadelphia, Phila, and then Xenia. But Xenia, instead of brotherly love, Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love, it's Philazenia. Xenia means the stranger. It's the love of the stranger. Hospitality literally means loving the stranger, loving the outsider. It can be applied to foreigners that traveled through the land. It can be applied to people who don't belong to that native country but have moved in. Loving the stranger. And I've always kind of had an, a, a perspective of hospitality that just being, having an open home, so having meals, but most often those are people that I know, people I haven't seen in a while. And, and so I want to encourage us as a church and have many times over the years encourage us just be hospitable, have meals, because those relationships help us grow in our faith. <laughs> a relationship over a dinner is a powerful thing, probably worth 10 to 20 sermons. On a Sunday morning. It's a powerful thing. And you learn a lot. And you connect a lot. And you get challenged sometimes. But that's not hospitality at its core, actually. Hospitality is loving the stranger. Now, ironically, if we go ahead and love the stranger, the awkward conversations with the people that we don't know, it's going to make us better and better at building our own relationships. Those are easier. But if we treat hospitality in the narrower sense of just loving our friends, it's actually going to prevent us from ever loving the stranger. Because our calendars are going to be full with all the people we like. And our home is always going to be filled with just people that we know. And then where does the outsider have a little like nook and cranny to wedge their way into your life? You're full. And so we can think we're practicing hospitality when our lives are filled with interactions with Christians, but we sell ourselves short. That's like a little piece of the pie. It's almost like a ripple effect of true hospitality. When have we embraced the stranger? When were we the outsider and someone welcomed us in? If you got mentally back into that moment in your life that that was done for you, I bet it felt good. Someone loved you. Someone welcomed you. And if, likewise, or opposite-wise, if you feel on the outside, even right in this room today, if you feel like, I don't really know someone well here. I know a lot of people a little bit, or no one really knows me. Well, then you feel like an outsider, even if you're part of a group. So it's not just a foreigner. It's not just someone with a different language. It's an attitude of saying, who is disconnected? Who is alienated? 
And let's bring them in. Let's hug them. Let's make them feel like us. Let's make them feel like family. Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus says, On judgment day, the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Right? We know this. These are the six things Jesus seems to be judging people by on judgment day. So the first one is, I was hungry and you gave me food. Second one, I was thirsty, you gave me drink. The third one, I was a xenia. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me in. Fourth, I was naked and you clothed me. Fifth, I was sick and you visited me. And sixth, I was in prison and you came to me. So these are Jesus' top six. But he separates the loving and welcoming of a stranger from the food and the drink. So it's clearly not the same thing. That's interesting. He could have just said food and drink and meant hospitality. But since hospitality is actually loving of the stranger, that's not the same thing, even though it can be. Sometimes we hand out bottles of water on Saturdays at L Street. That's giving food and drink, but it's also loving the stranger. So they overlap, and they're not meant to be exclusive. Um, In Romans 12, Paul says it this way, Love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, that's the Philadelphia, brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in your spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. And be constant in prayer. And here's our verse. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He separates them. Give to saints, bless the saints, and bless the stranger. I mean, that's something that we need. That's something that we need. We need to have Christ's attitude towards the stranger, the outsider, those who are not like us, those who don't think like us, those who don't look or talk or feel like us or agree with us. That's getting closer to Christ's definition of what hospitality is. I looked up a few definitions. I want to read a few to you this morning. Henry Nouwen has a great one, has a few others. Just think, expand hospitality before we read our main passage together. Henry Nouwen describes biblical hospitality in his book called Reaching Out. He says, Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom that is undisturbed by any dividing lines. Like, that's cool. When you're having someone in your home, it's more than just the meal. We, we always kind of inherently know there's something more going on. But what if we're creating space for strangers to become friends? This sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? And he didn't have a house to invite people into. So if he was able to welcome the stranger and he was able to show hospitality, then it doesn't matter if you live in an apartment or a house. It doesn't matter if you have two part-time jobs or you're a high school kid or you're a grandparent or you got a property in New Hampshire. Like, you know... Those aren't the characteristics that define whether this is possible or not. It's an attitude. Here's another definition. Uh, Another scholar said, Hospitality isn't just about opening our home and preparing a table. It's about preparing and opening our hearts and our lives to welcome strangers. We practice hospitality when we treat outsiders like insiders. Here's a little Middle Eastern perspective, cultural, historical perspective from Baker's uh, biblical Theology Dictionary. Uh, Baker says this, The plight of aliens in the ancient Middle East was desperate. So aliens, people traveling through from one place to another, foreigners. The plight of aliens was desperate. They lacked membership in the community, 
be it the tribe or the state or the nation. And as an alienated person, the traveler often needed immediate food and lodging. Widows, orphans, the poor, or sojourners from other lands, they lacked the familial status or the community status that provided a landed inheritance, a means of making a living, protection. Here's the key sentence. In the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's land or home or community and providing directly for that person's needs. Um, he goes on to say, in our modern Western world, we're so separated from the Middle Eastern concept of what hospitality meant to welcome in the stranger that we've kind of focused on it being how we develop relationships and cultivate relationships with family and friends. Hospitality is a way for people to get together and bond and grow. But he said that actually makes it so that the way that we currently care for strangers is primarily monetary, not personal. But my question to us is what would it look like if instead of giving money to help the poor, if we welcomed the poor into our home? What if our assistance to those in need was personally given? Home-cooked meals, shirts off of our backs, face-to-face -face, rather than a financial support to a program or to a person. There's a difference if you give someone money for a meal or give them a meal. And I think the ancient Near Eastern concept of this making of a meal was so embedded because so many of them had to travel from one place to the other. And the inns in those days, from all that I read, just notoriously awful places. And so people sometimes, even if they were available, didn't want to go to the inn because that's where all the bad element hung out and it was a dirty place and it was notorious. And so you'd travel from town to town and you just knock on a door. And because you might be the one next month that's knocking on someone else's door, when some stranger knocked on yours, you're like, what can we do? You know, kill the fatted calf. <laughs> Bless this person and, and treat them like a guest. Uh, there was a, um, a website I looked up trying to define this Arabic hospitality. It's actually world famous and has been for centuries. This is the way they defined it. Um, Arabic hospitality is world famous for some of these reasons. As a guest, you always come first. Your host will never stop feeding you. Sounds like some of our Italian or Greek families that we know about. Host will never stop feeding you. Every dinner is magnificent. Every meal is huge. Uh, they care about your preferences. Your comfort is their biggest concern. Entertainment is important. You become a part of the family. And at the end of the meal, you never want to leave. Like that's growing into what a style of hospitality could be. And this culture has valued it for so long, being a traveling nomadic culture and region, uh, that they do it well. So Jesus was born into that region. He speaks from that perspective, and I think we can learn a lot from that. Um, before we read our, our passage, which kind of, it, it, honestly, this is a passage that's quoted by uh, the Jewish religion, by the Islamic religion, and by the Christian religion, because it's Abraham. And all three of those find their roots in Father Abraham. And they look at this as the key example, all of us, ourselves included, of the perfect um, hospitable welcome and what it looks like. So biblically, we're going to look at how Abraham did it. But before we do that, can I just read you a quote from a very serious time in history of how hospitality played itself out? Uh, this is by Philip Halley. He studied the inhabitants of a French village that sheltered many Jewish refugees uh, during the Nazi period. 
and those who helped to rescue Jews, he found, were motivated by this form of hospitality, loving the stranger. He writes, I learned that the opposite of cruelty is not simply freedom from the cruel relationship. It's hospitality. The opposite of cruelty is hospitality, welcoming in the stranger. He says, when I asked the villagers why they helped these dangerous guests, you know, you help this guest, you might die. So why did they do it? They invariably answered, what do you mean why? Where else could they go? How could you turn them away? The opposite of cruelty is hospitality. And so I think there's much more we could just grow in this. <laughs> if we're talking that depth of welcome and protection and becoming one and extension to others, um, we've settled for a lesser form that I'd love for the Bible to stretch for us today. So let's turn to our passage. If you have your Bibles, I'll read it for us out loud. We're in Genesis chapter 18, and I'm going to read it through. Um, Maybe as you're turning there, does anybody have anything that came to their mind? Like, just imagine, what would it actually be like if Christians had this mentality of personally loving strangers? Would that change at all the way the church operates today? Would that change how America operates or the world? Like, I feel like we don't necessarily go to that length, but what, what would that look like? I was just curious to dream a little bit. What if every Christian like, loved the stranger? Anything come to mind? Can we paint a picture of that? That could be so beautiful. Steve. So, I spent a lot of time down south in the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's actually a lot more like that mm. than what we have here. Cool. Actually, like, I've had a lot more experiences with people loving mm. me just, you know, right off the bat mm. than we have around here for some reason. So maybe now let's talk New England then, because that's where I'm from. That's what I see. Maybe you get even further away, things change that way. That's good perspective. What would it look like if the church was different this way? Jen? That's what I thought of, because when we went on our last trip down south, um, we met this family at the park. It was, like, super late at night, and um, she was like, come back to my house. Like, come have a meal. She was so nice. She was like, I'm going to take you out tomorrow. She, like... Literally, her little girl was the same size as Charlotte, and Charlotte got wet in the creek that they showed us. Like, they showed us all around, like, such love, like, food, drink, like, mm. literally gave us her clothes because my daughter's was soaking wet, and she was like, for now, like, that'll dry in the sun. Like, here's an outfit, like, just such mm. loving, giving people. Mm. Like, we were complete strangers, like. Mm. What if that was how the world <laughs> defined Christians? Like, talk to them. Really? few times a week like mm. that's awesome that's yeah. awesome it's a powerful thing dad I saw you had a, a thought too yeah I was thinking when we started the church years ago that somebody that came right early on at the beginning of the church mm. his name was Clayton Dickinson I remember that and name he was our greeter our very first greeter and mm. he taught me to greet he was my model I mm. followed his approach. Mm. I still remember him fondly as being our very first greeter, greeting everybody warmly. Yeah, certainly applies to a, a Sunday morning sort of thing too. People walk in as visitors, as outsiders all the time. You never really know. Even if you believe in God, you don't know what's going to happen in this place. What are they going to sing? What's expected of me? So hospitality, welcoming, that can certainly apply here. Yeah, Sandra. I remember going with Larry um, to Costa Rica and coming back and thinking, 
Well, they, they learn our language so that they can communicate with us. Mm -hmm. so hospitable in that way. Mm. We don't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. We're almost like, why should if you come to this country, learn this language? You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's really an, an eye-opener. Yeah. It changes your heart. You know? mm. Mm. And what if we could be influential in that way, too? Lindsay and Mickey. I have one. I visited my friend in Greece. Mm -hmm. She was getting married, so I got to like, go on an island and all this stuff, and it was so beautiful, but her family is from Greece, like, fully, um, and they live there, and the hospitality was, like, mind-blowing. Really? It's because it's just not human. It's not natural for us to do that because it's a lot of sacrifice. And from every meal to rides, places, everyone in her family, who had just met the first time, were so concerned with me getting places, meeting, fed, home-cooked mm. meals, like everything. People would drive from like far away just to pick me up. And um, even like going back home, I was on the island where she got married and everyone was staying there. But her dad, who was like, you know, in his 70s, took the ferry back with me. Uh, brought me to dinner, I stayed at his place and drove me to the airport and he was going right back onto the ferry and like did all this extra stuff. Mm. Um, and it just like, you think that's so not a normal thing someone would do yeah. or at no cost and just right. to be hospitable right. to the visitor. So. Yeah, really that's fantastic. These are great examples. Mickey, last one and then we'll jump into our passage. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not an example, but I'd like to think that there would be kind of less divisions among people if we love the stranger because I think if we're talking about you know meeting people's needs and I think we just see people as people when we do that but otherwise we're mm. so distanced and sometimes we see people as ways of life or ideologies or politics even so I like right. to think that if we love the stranger that's when we realize like oh we're actually not different you know you're a human mm. I'm human and um we're all navigating this world, so. Yeah, and you can show this hospitality to someone who is different from you. It doesn't require you to believe the same things. You can help, even if they're very different. If they disagree with you on a thousand political points and religion, you can still help. And then that is a uniting thing. I know there's many more we could think of, but I want to get into our passage for this morning. I just encourage you to think of what we could be like if we were all of those in our area. And as I was kind of comparing and contrasting New England culture to this biblical, we're describing biblical hospitality, the way God wants it to be a good thing. I just encourage us to be more like this and to experiment with it this week in whatever ways come up. Well, let's read from Abraham, Genesis 18, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read through uh, verse 10. <clears throat> and then as we go through, see if you can pick out the elements. These are the ingredients for biblical hospitality. It's like the perfect example. So we're, pick them out and then list off as we, as we get to the end, whichever ones that you spotted as we went through. So the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour. Knead it. Make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf. 
tender and good. Then he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took the curds and the milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So this is our example of hospitality. What are the ingredients? What made it special? What did he do? What's in there? Just shout them out. What do you got? No delay. No delay. He's quick. Yeah. He went to them. All right. Bow to them. Yeah. Bowing. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. They could have been lowly. They could have. It didn't matter. They were the guests. They were the stranger. He's loving the stranger. What's that? Serve them. Perfect. Made them comfortable. He's going. Right. He's sweating. They're refreshing. He's working. Ian. The very best of what he had. Yep, that's key. He did. He did. The best. It's the bottle of wine you've been saving for a special occasion. It's your favorite jacket. It's your best pair of shoes. It's that. <laughs> it's that. For somebody, anybody, a nobody. That's what makes it special. He does not yet know who they are. They're just three guys that walked by. Anything else stand out? It could have been a real missed opportunity. <laughs> look at how the Lord came to him. He had, if he just let them pass by. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's the last one of the ingredients as I go through the ones that stood out to me. God moves through these situations. God speaks. God does stuff. If he didn't, then he would not have received that prophecy about his wife, which would not have given him hope, which would not have made her skeptical, which would not have proved God's... Like, there's a lot that happens. That's God's will unfolding. So this happens for us as well. We show hospitality, maybe something for us. We might need to be humbled a little bit. <laughs> we might need to serve a little bit. But it also could be for the person we're serving. Maybe they need to know that God loves them and this shows it. Or it could be for someone else down the road. But yeah, you want to look for that. What's God going to do through this simple act of loving a stranger? I don't know if any else stood out. I want to go through a few and kind of give us things, but I'm curious what you saw. I just noticed that he's there while they ate. He didn't also join them, which is something like, oh, we'll prepare a meal. We'll eat with you. He was, yeah. here's a meal for you. Yeah. And he stood there and watched. Yeah, it's just interesting. Just yeah. To know, like, they did all this work for these men. Cat, bread, not for us, right. just for them. Mm-hmm. special. And put that into our mindset, like, well, how do we do that in a meal? How do you do that with a friend, with someone who's homeless, with uh, someone you bump into wherever you are out. You just try to think, oh, what does that look like? I want us to dream into that a little bit. So uh, let me list off a few. I found 13 different things that happened in there, and I felt each of them was unique, so I'm obviously not going to preach 13 mini-sermons. I'm going to more list them and let you think about them with me, sort of meditate on one by one. So I'll go halfway through, and then I'll stop, and let me know what stands out to you, what, what maybe God might be wanting to say to you on this area, or what you thought was most special, uh, and then we'll do the second half, and again, let, let's talk about it. If we're going to experiment, we need to get as much as we can from the example. So uh, the first one that I saw was that Abraham was looking he was, try, he was actively out there at the tent door looking. This requires us also to be the kind of people that are like observing those around us. If he was in his tent sleeping, if he was doing something, he would never have seen. And we're often too busy. This is a good Samaritan story. Too busy getting where we're going. We don't have our eyes open to the needs that are actually all around us. So that's a great example of hospitality. We might have missed already today seven opportunities to love a stranger. And we didn't even know it. 
But Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day and was looking. I'd love if that could be us, looking around neighbors, looking around coworkers, looking around fellow students, looking around teachers, looking around homeless people we drive by, looking around the city of Taunton, looking around our engineer, our plumber. We're just surrounded by people who are outside of us. What are their needs? It's cool to look. It's cool to observe. That's the first one. Uh, also, this one was said, uh, he ran to greet them. Like just How often do we wait for someone to come to us? I'm so guilty of this all the time. You just sort of live your life and people come to you to say things. Like, initiate. Look for opportunities and then go to someone and be like, I noticed this thing. I don't know. Would you? Or, hey, I had this thing. I saw you were struggling with that. Take this. Or, would you like? Or, could I? Or, right? Running to those situations. Let's not be passive. Waiting for God to custom send us a hospitality opportunity. <laughs> Look for it and go after it. Abraham did. Um, he bowed. Sally, you mentioned this one. He bowed to the visitors. If you think about him, Abraham was the chieftain of his tribe, if you want to put it in purely like secular historical terms. He's the lord of his family and servants. Why is he bowing to people he don't, doesn't know? Because that's what he wanted to do to show them respect. And if your leader... The president of your country, the, the president of your company, your pastor, the father in the house, the parents, if they set the example when they have the ability to say, well, this is my house, this is my country, this is my company, these are my rules, but instead they treat the lowest person as like this famous celebrity and royalty, that will influence the culture of that place that that person leads. So Abraham is influencing everyone around him when they see the top dog go out and bow to dirty strangers. Well, if the chieftain can do that. Well, I better do that. I certainly should do that. That's Jesus and us. Same, one-to-one. -one. He bowed because it was reverence. Um, uh, I stumbled across a quote on this that fits here. Uh, it's by Now and again from that same book. He said, Henry Nowen said, A good host is one who believes that his guest is carrying a promise that he wants to reveal to anyone who shows interest. Ah, what do they have? I wonder what it is. What, tell me about yourself. What do you like? Like, there's something in there. There's a gem in there. Can we show interest? Will it be revealed? Will we find it and just be, wow, this person? Instead of, can I have time? Is this going to work? What's it going to cost me? Can we make this work? Who are they? They're different. They're dirty. They don't know. I don't, we don't have anything in common. Irrelevant. That's not qualifications for biblical hospitality. Uh, a couple more. Uh, inviting. Abraham begged the men to take his stuff. <laughs> please, 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 please. That's cool. It's very un-New England. We're stoic. Beg someone to let them help you. That's cool. That's a biblical way to invite. It's not just like, so if you are interested, I could do this. Like, no, let me help you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Please, please, please. It's such a joy for me. I want to. Hospitality, that's that thing. Washing, gave them uh, water and watering. <laughs> Washing and watering, gave them water for their feet. And gave them water for their thirst. I was wondering, this is hard to make contemporary. But I thought, you know, you wash someone's feet, it's like offering them an escape from the world. It's like cleaning them off. I know later on in the Bible, there's forgiveness as compared to washing of feet often. So I wonder if we would help someone with forgiveness, if it would be the equivalent of like helping them clean the dirt that they've accumulated off. Is there a, um, 
a correlation with forgiveness. You can try washing people's feet for real, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to go over well when they come to your house or when you see them on the street. Like, the Bible said, please, 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 let me wash your feet. Take off your shoes. I'll do it for you. I don't recommend that, but I mean, hey, the Spirit leads you. Do what he says. Um, water, again, it's good to give water, but uh, we as people are thirsty for a lot more than that. Right? Jesus is this living water, so you won't have to thirst anymore. So what if the quenching of thirst that we offer as we get to meet and love strangers is deeper than just H2O? It's, you could feel okay. You could have that quenched that you've been really thirsty for for a long time. Let me talk to you about Jesus, this person I met. So there, there are layers to this. You can see we could go as deeply as we wanted with each one of them. Uh, but one more before I ask you which ones are kind of jumping off the page to you is uh, he invited them to rest. And with all of our thinking about Sabbath, it just occurred to me, like, do we invite people to rest? Like, come join us not to do something. Come join us as we do nothing. Let's hang out. Let's have iced tea on the back patio. Let's watch a movie. Let's sit in the hot tub. Let's go for a walk. Let's do nothing together. Can our time together be something that gives you rest? Sometimes hospitality is exhausting. For both parties. Everybody's trying to like say the right thing. You feel like you got to be on. you got to make conversation, especially if it's someone you don't know. And so afterwards, it's like, oh, it was great, but I need to sleep for like two days. Why isn't it restful? Could it be restful? Is there a way that we could put people at ease and at rest? So that, that's half of the ones. I'll go through another chunk. What's standing out to you? Do these feel practical or challenging or questions come up with the first half of them? Larry. In today's world, it would be considered very unusual. Sure. So sure. you got to have a trust factor that the person <laughs> you're reaching out to is going to receive it as you hope. That's a great point. Who's this weirdo? Yeah. It's <laughs> a fair point. Anything else? Yeah. This is my observation. Since God saved Joe Furland right mm. Raise your hand up, Joe. <laughs> we know Joe. Since okay. God saved Joe, and he and I go together Saturday to feed and bring the bread and the food and serve and whatever. Since God saved him, he's what you're describing, hospitable. He roams around, mm. and he talks to this one, then he goes over to that one, mm. and he gives a track to this one. Mm. Next thing you know, he comes back and helps me, and then we're getting food together on mm. the island, and he's reading somebody else. Every Saturday I see that mm. God has, is working in his life. Mm. Amen. 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 Let's continue on. Like I said, I want to kind of put these all in our minds to be thinking and praying. The Holy Spirit will remind us of the ones that we each individually need. Um, feeding. Abraham offered a home-cooked meal. Um, sometimes people are hungry for more than food. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We, we can be reminded of that. Uh, I was thinking that for a modern equivalent, if you want to go beyond food, um, hungry for truth, something that has some substance to it, that, that's in short supply in the world. There's lots of doubts and lots of questions, lots of options. The world is like analysis paralysis, just so many options of everything. And so for a Christian to say, well, I believe this one thing, that can be really a relief to someone. It can be satisfying to not just be presented with more questions, but to say, well, there's a God that provides answers. So truth, I think, could be a wonderful meal that we could share with others. Um, the next one, refreshing. I liked that he hoped that they would be refreshed. 
You ever know friends that when you leave them, you feel refreshed? Have and have had friends like that. Those are so special. You just feel better. It's encouraging, right? May you be encouraged by our time together. May the Christian hope give you a little bit of hope, even if you don't have any of your own, by spending time together. May Christian encouragement, may Christian optimism, because we know that there's a God in control, may some of that be refreshing to your spirit, something you don't necessarily hear elsewhere. That's just from us. That's how, as our faith, that'll kind of like come out of us. Um, but I wish we would be refreshing to people. Uh, hastening. So he, he did everything quickly. We said that. He did not uh, hesitate. He acted immediately. And this seems simple until we ask ourselves, how many of those things are we still procrastinating on? <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to help that person. And then we just forget and we get busy and we don't. I'm going to give out that jacket. I'm going to make that meal. I'm going to have that person over. And we really do intend to. And then everything in life that is like a whirlwind around us pulls us off target. Like Abraham didn't wait. He's like, I had the idea now. So the very next second is when I'm going to kick into high gear and make it happen now. He could have said, come back tomorrow and I'll have a fine meal for you. It would have been more convenient. He did not. He acted. So in our welcoming of people, we might say that person kind of seems like they're on the fringe of church relationships or on a fringe at the office. Nobody really welcomes them. I should do something sometime. Like, what could I do right now? What will I do today? That, that's a good model for us. Abraham, like I said, this is the biblical model. It's like maybe the perfect biblical model of hospitality. There's so many things in it. I encourage you to think about what it might mean for you in your experiments this week. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I listed it as kind of like spoiling them. It just gave the best. <laughs> you just spoil them. So spoil somebody for no apparent reason. And they don't even have to deserve it. And you don't even have to like them. And you don't even have to know them. That's cool. That's Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pretty big spoiling. He's treating us pretty good, giving us his whole life. Like, we can do that. And it was a joy. For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. So, for the joy of blessing someone the way God has blessed us, let's spoil somebody today. Doesn't even have to be somebody we know. And then serving, um, it wasn't a beneficial thing for Abraham. He stood by, he did not make himself a meal. He served them. And he continued to wait on them. This was a good word to me, I thought, because sometimes we're quick to like notice a need, and then by the next day or the next week, our short attention span, we're on to the next thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that person still has needs next week. They had one need, and we met it, praise God, but what if you kind of like stood by and waited on someone, or looked and said, what more could I do? A relationship coming alongside someone instead of just the once and done. The once and done is beautiful. That's kind of what it was here for Abraham, but in the moment, he's like staying there. Oh, you've got a meal. What do you need? Do you need more? We talk to someone, what do you need? Okay, and tomorrow, what do you need? Are you okay? How are things working out with that appointment, with that um, thing you were applying for, with that struggle? Are you still there? Are you still good? Abraham continued waiting on. We could really learn a lot by treating people that way as well, not just a check. I checked off, I helped. But I'm helping. I'm, I'm standing by. I'm, I'm on standby. I'm on call with this particular person who God has brought into my life. And then the last one, I kind of hinted at in advance, uh, awaiting. Abraham was waiting to see what God would do through it. Um, you know, surely I return this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Hospitality is a means for God's will to be done. 
Uh, this exact example uh, is quoted in Hebrews, and I'll just read it for you really quickly because it contrasts Philadelphia with Philozenia, the two different loves, love of brothers, love of strangers. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, let your brotherly love, this is Philadelphia, let that continue. In the next sentence, do not neglect to show Philozenia hospitality to strangers, for in so doing, some have entertained angels unaware. That's Abraham. But doesn't that make it so obvious that hospitality has to be for strangers? Because wouldn't you know if like, your best friend was an angel? You probably would have figured it out somewhere along the way. So hospitality can't be for someone you know if you might have entertained an angel when you're doing it because you should know if like Uncle Larry's actually an angel. Has he been around? Does he disappear sometimes? Does he go through walls? Like you'd get it. So Philadelphia, Philizina, they're just two things. So let's root ourselves in Christ's love of the stranger and then let that like bubble over into the love of the brother and sister. It will go that way because <laughs> it's a lot harder to make conversation, to extend yourself to someone who doesn't deserve it, who doesn't look like you, you don't know. Man, if we build chops in those relationships, we will be excellent at relationships with people who we're similar to and we talk easily with and we have a lot in common. So go that route. Hebrews, just like Paul, just like Jesus, they separate these two types of loves. Uh, before we do some brainstorming on um, what opportunities we have for this let me just ask. That was the second half of all the ingredients. Did any particular ones stand out? Like, oh, that, that's a good one, or that's what I need to hear, or an important one. Any of those last ones? Jump. Yeah. Really the sustaining part. Cause, okay. Because you can make a great impression initially and then lose the afterglow of it if you just let it die on the vine. That's a great way to say it. Great way to say it. Perfect. Else. This is about this, but it doesn't exactly answer. Yeah, it's fine. I, I'm a friend of my sister's who I recently <coughs> had some time with, Christian woman, 78 years old, lives in Bridgewater. Her door is open all the time to anyone who wants to come in and get a meal. Right now she has a homeless man living with her who she's ministered to and he's wow. become a Christian and now he's here for a helper. But um, she never turns anyone away. Wow. We respect people like that, but would we do it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I just keep thinking that of the word risk. Good. I think that a lot of people just feel like, oh, well, that's nice, but like, no, nah, that's crazy because there's risk yeah. involved. And like right. Lindsay said earlier, sacrifice. Yeah. Like it costs you something to spend time with people who don't know well or don't understand or different than you or any of those things. But we all operate, I feel like, to some degree from a mindset of scarcity where we feel like, well, I don't have enough, enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't mm -hmm. have enough whatever to, right. to give someone else because we hoard mm -hmm. our, all of those things. We treasure yeah. them up. We're afraid. But they're not for us. All the things that we have, anything that we have, isn't ours anyway. It belongs to the Lord. So if we have a house, an apartment, a room, any dollars, a car, mm -hmm. then that's something that we're supposed to be stewards of. So we're supposed to steward our time for other people and our space for other people to occupy, not just our friends. Although that's important, like 
for the outsider. So like this is like a huge challenge. This yeah. isn't just like we're all gonna definitely go do this this week. We're gonna like think about it and feel like mm, <laughs> right. I don't know. Because risk, like how why would he even run to strangers? Like this is the land of danger. Like mm-hmm. people were just killing people all the time then. So you just like could there aren't police. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, hey, I like your land, so you're dead now. <laughs> but he just was like, I welcome you, even right. though you absolutely could Risk. kill me and take my wife and my land and things like that. Right. Like, we don't even understand that because we don't live that way. Yeah. But there's so much risk involved for someone yeah. in this time to say, not only am I not going to be afraid of you, but I'm going to go towards you and yeah. welcome that risk. Like, that's a requirement. We have to welcome that risk. That's a great point. And maybe that makes it all the more important to really have it be spirit-led. And all of these things, we're not supposed to be like inventing experiments for ourselves. We're supposed to be asking God, like, give me opportunities for this. Because the risk could totally go the wrong way, too. If it's us thinking, hey, look how great I am. I want to do this thing. Or I have no danger. Like, there is. But again, if the Holy Spirit is leading it, then whether there's danger or not, it's a good thing to do and it'll accomplish God's will in some way. So in all these weeks of experimenting, like, make sure that we're being led by God into them. Don't charge ahead and I'm going to make this happen. Well, then that's just you. That's works. That's useless. And maybe and badly, although we're not trying to avoid risk as Christians. But um, yeah, that's what made me think. Like, when, when do you welcome the stranger? When do you not? Well, the Holy Spirit's got to tell you that. In the verse that you read in Matthew, Jesus said, yeah. and in my translation, it says, um, I was in prison and you came to me, and it says, ignoring personal danger. So, like, there's an element that's very real. Yeah. yeah. Ignoring, but ignoring personal danger, being like, okay, well, there might be danger, but also if God is saying do this thing, I'm mm. going to do this thing. He's right. bigger than whatever situation right. I'm going to be in. That's the right time to step, yeah. I, I mean, he goes on to then say, like, and so some of you actually didn't do these things. Mm-hmm. Right, I didn't read the counterpoint, so but yeah. That there's like a, I don't know, a warning. And right. Jesus was like, you actually are required to do this thing. Not just, I exactly. you do, right. see you on the other side. Right. And if you don't, I'm saying, no, no, no. If you don't, <coughs> then you're getting sorted. Yep. Yep. He has two more things, and this is where I was going with it, so let me read them. Two more things from Jesus. One is in Luke 14. Um, he gave an example on hospitality, and he said to all the people that were listening to him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's giving specific instructions on, like, lifestyle here. This is not a parable. This is when you do that. You're going to do meals. How are you going to do them? Who are you going to be known for hosting? Is everybody one of the best people at their parties? And that was a very social society. And we're in the same way, even if it's in smaller numbers. But what if we were exactly the opposite of how the world did it? What if we were influential and people saw and like, wow, because of Jesus, these Christians are opposite. Um, A parable that Jesus did say about this, we can see what he was teaching through this story that he says. As in Matthew 22, Jesus talks about a king who had invited a bunch of people to his feast and nobody came. Uh, Matthew 22, 8, The king then says to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, out into the main roads. We could even say go to Main Street if you wanted. 
Just saying, you could go to Main Street. You could go to 49 Main Street if you wanted and invite to the wedding feast as many people as you can find. So those servants went out onto the roads and they gathered all whom they had found, both good and bad. That's like a key part. <laughs> they invited all who they found, good and bad. They invited the bad ones and the good ones, just all who they found. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. We don't want to invite the bad, so let's not talk about that. Let's ignore that, okay? Don't forget that you heard that from Jesus. That's, you don't want to, or maybe we need to expand our definition of who we reach out to. Do you think, as I think, that these sorts of parables and statements are going to become so mandatory for us to really know deep in our heart when we are at 49 Main Street? How are you going to control who comes in through the doors? Are they all going to be good people? What if they're bad people? Are they going to be the same as us? What if our open door is actually our new location and we have a hospitality to all, the good and the bad? Come hear about Jesus. Come be blessed. Come have food and drink. Because those, even though they're not share the gospel, baptize you, those are the six things that Jesus said, this is what a saved person looks like and how I know who goes to heaven and who goes to hell when I sort things out. So not every cup of coffee in our cafe has to come with a gospel presentation. It could just be coffee. And not every person who comes in has to agree with us theologically. It can just be a warm welcome. And we stand in what we feel the Word of God says, but our love shows to others that, man, there is something to it. And then we get into conversations with those who are nothing like us. This location as a church has minimized some of those challenges for us. We've not had to be as interactive with many different sorts and types and places. Uh, that safety net is getting taken away as we move to a new place because the place itself is in the middle of a large community of many sorts of people. And I, for one, am so excited about that. I'm not afraid of that at all. I want to meet the people on the highways and byways and not just gather with friends every week. Like, what if our Sunday services are hospitality? Well, then most churches are just doing it with Christians and like hanging out with friends. But what if it's different? Jesus was different. I think it'd be really cool, but there comes risk. And it wasn't always easy, and it got messy, and we don't have guarantees of where things will go. But I think we start with Jesus' heart, and then we're going to end up taking steps that we see how he blesses. You will be blessed. Come, receive the inheritance, what my Father has prepared for you. So, whether it's uh, weddings we go to, funerals for loved ones, we're around people that we don't see a lot, or friends and strangers, some of us have lost loved ones recently, and so you'll be in these social circles with people who are not like you. How can you be hospitable and love the stranger? When we're at school, when we go to the gym, when we... um, Go to our jobs, when we're walking around in public, when we're shopping in stores or sitting eating in a restaurant or around others, when new employees join us at work, when new members join our family, someone's dating someone in our family, you gotta have a new member, an outsider. What does it look like to love that stranger, whether they're good or bad? Because it's the loving where you show Christ's love. How can you make them feel like family? Um, as new members join our church, how do we make new visitors and members and just off the street people and people moving to our area? Like, What does that look like for someone to feel part of? And how do we help that to happen? Because ultimately, Ephesians 2 tells us, remember that at one time, you too were aliens, separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the gather. Gather in, welcome and gather in the strangers. Turn back to your groups of five. Take five minutes or so before we turn to communion and just think about what some experiments might be. What could this look like in our week this week?